This is an irreverent podcast. Check out irreverent.fm for shows from all our friends. Hello and welcome to Exvangelical. I'm your host, Blake Chastain. My guest this week is the musician, author, and activist Jennifer Knapp. She and I spoke earlier this summer about her musical career both inside and outside the CCM industry, the pressure put on her and others to exhibit a performative faith within those constraints, how she returned to music on her own terms after a midlife retirement, and her work with Inside Out Faith, an organization she helped found to support LGBTQ people of faith like herself. Jennifer is on tour right now and has a few dates coming up in the Midwest this December. Check out jennifernapp.com slash shows for more details. I'd also like to mention up here at the top again that Exvangelical will be featured in a upcoming CBS documentary that will be airing on December 2nd. So check your local listings for details about that. As always, you can find me on Twitter at BRChastain and the show on Twitter at Pod. You can also search for the Exvangelical Facebook group on Facebook and support the show via Patreon at patreon.com slash exvangelicalpod or by buying merch at exvangelicalpodcast.com slash shop or just by leaving a rating on Apple Podcasts. All right, everyone, let's get into it. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Exvangelical. My guest this week is Jennifer Knapp. Jennifer is best known for her musical career, um, and many of my listeners will know her from her um, time in the CCM scene, as well as her time um, in most recent years since uh, 2010 when she uh, returned to the music scene. We're going to be talking a lot about uh, her experience. Welcome to the show, Jennifer. Hey, good to be here. Let's just start where we usually do on the show and just get a good sense of... um, of where you're from and everything. I, I, this past couple of weeks I've been listening to your memoir, which was really fascinating. Um, but I, I'd, I'd love to sort of hear, hear you talk a little bit about where you're from and, and what your initial background was. Uh, yeah, well, I'm, I'm very aware of the fact that I grew up in Kansas. I don't, <laughs> it's just, you know, it's from growing up in one of those places and you know, I don't know. It's so strange that I talk about where I'm from, even though I haven't lived in Kansas for well over 20 years now. Yeah. Uh, but I grew up in a in a relatively small community of about uh, about I think about like somewhere between 10 and 15,000 people. It's pretty small, uh, small town Chanute, and yeah, just kind of a blue collar family growing up. Uh, in the heartland of America, it's kind of, I, it seems so ordinary and so typical America to me that it seems, <laughs> like, it's always really weird when I try and talk about it. Cause I'm like, Oh, that's so boring. It's just like, I'm just like everybody else, <laughs> uh, you know? And in terms of like the, the religious experience, um, I was just talking about this the other day. I, I mean, I think the assumption, the assumption is that everybody believed in God, you know? So like my my family didn't necessarily go to church on every Sunday, although my grandmother was very religious about it. Um, and when I would go spend the weekends with her, she'd make me put on you know pantyhose and like painful shoes and dresses. <laughs> I thought Jesus was a crocodile. 
something. <laughs> but, you know, it's just so painful to like kind of have to like. It was like Scout in. Uh, it, I, that's why I related to Scout to Kill a Mockingbird. I just felt like you know people were spitting in my hair in order to kind of dress me up and get me <laughs> wild thing uh, ready for church. It was just kind of a foreign experience, but at the same time, I you know. Those those were really meaningful experiences to me as I grew up, even kind of making fun of the – I don't know. I, I just remember being aware that, like, there were people that went to church all the time. And mm-hmm. occasionally, you know, I'd, I'd be offloaded to a Sunday school with all these kids, and they'd be talking about these Bible stories and flannel graph Jesuses and stuff like that. And it was, it was something that I appreciated at the same time. I just wasn't in it every – you know, on a regular basis to kind of – really identify. So, you know, by the time that I got to college and, uh, I got in, involved with, uh, some friends of mine who were evangelical Christians, I just, you know, it was a, a strange thing. I just always assumed that everybody was a Christian. I kind of took it for granted and everybody around me believed in God. And, and then, you know, my, like I said, when I met, um, evangelical Christians, this, this was like a whole other kettle of fish, but, until then, you know, for the most part, I just grew up as a normal Midwestern kid and generally speaking, you know, pretty good. Um, do unto others as they do unto you and God is a real thing and just kind of went from there and things would radically change after I got involved with evangelicalism. That was- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely sort of, yeah, I grew up in small town, Indiana. So like there is that, you know, it is sort of like in the air sort of things, you know, as far as what you're talking about with people just sort of are default Christian, that sort of thing. <laughs> and, um, right. And yeah. well, and you know, I think that it's but generally speaking assumed, I mean, like occasionally you run into somebody who would go, God is dead and they're an atheist and they were kind right. of weird. <laughs> people. And then yeah. there were like the other people on that, you know, there were people in my community that were on the extremes who, you know, did talk about Jesus. You know, I had exposure to people who did talk about kind of in an interesting way, like, oh, I'm a Christian, and they would say it. And this was back, you know, like mid mid to late 80s. Um, during my youth, you know, I'd meet some of those people who went to church every Sunday and prayed at every, you know, babysitters who made me pray over my snacks and and had experiences like that. But they were just kind of like this, like this extra gear or something of um, kind of Christians that, you know, certainly my family didn't relate to. So, you know, I never really, you know, growing up, I never really made the distinction between people who were or weren't Christian, but I also realized that there were people out there who were, you know, to me at the time, I would have said they were a little bit weird or a little bit strange. And then, you know, I don't know, I didn't really know how to quantify it. They were just more serious, but I, I never was exposed to people who, downgraded the religious experience or the marginal religious experience, you know, of my family growing up, you know, I, I never was, you know, I wasn't around people. I wasn't around enough people who were, you know, getting into conversations like, Oh, your family aren't Christians because they don't go to church every Sunday or, you know, there's something wrong with you because you don't pray over your meal. There wasn't really that sense of competition for me growing up. So it didn't really, you know, that wasn't something I experienced until, you know, into the the heart of the, the 90s and evangelicalism and and when I got you know into that as a profession right yeah yeah that whole sense of lukewarm Christians and all that all that sort of lovely jargon that people are right. yeah well and in some really good you know I think even in some really good ways I mean I remember as a little girl occasionally my mom would take me to this this beautiful little country church it's still there it's like 
it's I mean it's exactly like a you know a Norman Rockwell postcard this little white mm-hmm. painted Methodist church out in the middle of the country and uh, Lord knows how as a pastor you get stationed to one of these churches but you know we would go occasionally and I you know and as little girls because they didn't have like a big Sunday school we would sit and listen to the pastor and I remember finding the sto- you know the the experience engaging and I don't I don't know that you know I, at the time that made me you know, think anything other than, you know, that, I don't know, it didn't make me think anything extraordinary at the same time. Like it was just, it, it, the religious experience had a meaning to me at that time, even at a young age without necessarily feeling like it was something that I had to be convinced of. Um, it, a shared experience. And I, I find looking back on that, that was really touching. And I, I'd like to think that maybe those, those put a sense of normalcy to, uh, a spiritual journey and, you know, the kind of crafting of a human being in mm-hmm. goodness and grace that made sense to, to, uh, you know, Christianity in, in a way that I didn't necessarily, I, I think that would come back to, to kind of be helpful to me later on in life when, you know, ticking off the boxes, when you weren't able to tick off the expected boxes, um, that, that was an offense. I just, I didn't grow up in an environment where, you know, there was a failure related to Christianity, but more of an experience and a journey. So I'm really grateful, strangely enough to have had, you know, a kind of a calm upbringing, even though I think, you know, sometimes like on my, somebody wrote on my Wikipedia page and I don't, I don't know how this got into print, but it lives out (laughs) that I grew up in, you know, the quote is that I was raised in an irreligious family. And I see that as a code for, I wasn't raised evangelical. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. That, that does seem pretty coded. (laughs) Yeah. And in light of everything you've just said in all that context, I mean, absolutely. Um, cause that just doesn't reflect your actual experience. Yeah. it does. And I, yeah, I think that was kind of this strange thing when I started, you know, as I got, you know, as into my mid twenties and I, you know, had a, had a career where I'm working in and around, you know, like as a, as a Christian music performer, I'm talking about my faith and I'm talking about this experience. Mm-hmm. Um, it was strange how I started to have, you know, the, the experience that I'd had that had led me to want to be able to talk about this in my art was also being met with, uh, qualifiers that was, that were essentially kind of downgrading the previous experience that I'd had to lead me there, which I found really strange, um, really difficult to kind of deal with early on when, when I was really genuinely having, uh, an experience that was radically uh, affecting and changing my life for the better, but also getting some really con- confusing com- messages as if, you know, everything that I had experienced up to that point was somehow invalid. It was a, a really strange thing to have to kind of go through and navigate. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you capture that a, a little bit um, just in remembering back to your memoir and, and what you mentioned actually just now, you, you did have sort of, you got involved in, more evangelical style things or evangelical <laughs> um, things as far uh, like in college. So what, what led you to, to that where you, where that was your entry into that style of Christianity? Yeah. You know, first was, I think a, a bit of naivete in, in terms of like, I, I didn't really know, uh, I, I like your your term there, the style of Christianity. I, I really had no idea that there were styles of Christianity <laughs> at all. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. That's just kind of how 
the way that I grew up. I just didn't have that kind of exposure to a diverse treatment of, of religious experience at all. Um, and then, you know, I got to college and quite a few of my friends were evangelical friends. Um, I was going through an extremely rough patch of just trying to, to figure out how to be, how to, of valuing myself. I was, you know, pretty much drunk for two, a couple of years. Um, and just, you know, really self-destructive and, and trying at the same time, I think just really, the, the only way I know how to explain it is just really spiritually grappling. And I don't mean necessarily in a religious way, but in terms of a fundamental, deep spiritual appreciation of myself, I just, I'd gone mm. through enough experiences there. And I, and I think that's, where I kind of try and talk about in the book is that, you know, trying to find a sense of my own dignity in, inside of that. Um, when I met up with my evangelical friends, they were introducing me to scripture in a way that, you know, as a writer, I think, and as an artist, when I read some of the, the, the scripture and some of the Bible, you know, these were stories that were really meaningful to me mm-hmm. and that, that, like any good piece of deeply meaningful sharing that we do in our storytelling really made me understand the gospel in a new way that, that there was at the very least, even though I wouldn't have, I I didn't really get into, you know, believing in, I don't know. I couldn't like, you know, from a scientific point of view, for an example, I couldn't really, get into like believing, you know, say a choice of evolution over, um, you know, the Noah and the flood or something like that, like my comprehension, but the, the poetry of that and the deep spiritual sense and the meaningness of myself really resonated in the scripture that my evangelical friends were sharing with me Mm -hmm. and having the, the second part of that was, you know, they were a group of students there that were, sincerely worried about my well-being you know I was on a very self-destructive path and it I it's it's not a light thing when I say that I'm, I'm actually really fortunate that I survived that um you know I was making choices that were really dangerous and potentially physically harming to me and here were some well-minded friends who thought you know if only I found Jesus you know the miracle of that would save my life and those two things kind of connected, um, and, and truly in the evangelical sense, which was an entirely new thing that I'd never, I'd ever heard of, you know, I needed to accept Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and savior. So not really kind of understanding what that meant at all. There was, you know, for me, a moment of surrender to, to that, to that story. And that, that idea that God cared about me enough Mm -hmm. that I was willing to kind of I mean, I'd surrendered to everything else. I was like, well, what difference does it make? I'll surrender to this too. But I, that surrender, like, I don't mean to make tongue in cheek of it. I mean, it was a kind of surrender that was like a last ditch effort. It's like, I don't believe in, in me. I don't believe that it's possible for me to be loved. And here is this conversation with the divine that says that I'm worth that time and that energy. And mm. so I, that was kind of like the gateway into that, you know, in a grocery store parking lot about three o'clock in the morning, I, I said my little prayer and, you know, things didn't miraculously change after that point. But the, the huge paradigm shift at that, at that point for me was one that, you know, radically did change my life. I, at that moment, I, I, 
I thought, you know, there, there's something special about being human and being alive and something, you know, connected to the divine in that, that I really wanted to explore. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't really, you know, then, you know, the net and the next step was in, you know, going to church and going to these fellowship meetings with other students and prayer meetings, and Bible studies, and that, you know, that's a whole kind of shift into a, another culture shock. I mean, I just yeah. had no idea that this thing existed. Um, you know, and trying to balance it out with a, a le- legitimately earnest decision that I'd made um, to kind of follow in this path and then walking into a world that I wanted to be in and at the same time was was just uh, an utterly strange experience from for me that I was, you know, both having to learn how to navigate and was being drawn into all at the same time, like just legitimately just wanted to be there. So, yeah. Yeah. So, you, so like you had this really meaningful, like conversion experience. I think that is probably like a, an appropriate term in that situation. Right. like you have this sort of turning point moment and then you get immediately plugged into this entire support network of sorts. And I'm, yeah. And I, 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 I deeply appreciate like in this vein, you know, I still struggle today with, you know, saying that I, I, I wonder, you know, I, I do wonder to this point today, you know, do, how do I explain a massive paradigm shift that I experienced in that moment mm-hmm. and resistance to this idea that there was some something like overwhelmingly miraculous that happened on that day and in that moment when, you know, I'm really uncomfortable saying I gave my life to Christ. I mean, there's something strangely uh, there's there's something strange to me about that statement at the same time, I have to, like, I've really wrestled with this in, you know, in the last 15 years, like, how do I explain the the dramatic paradigm shift that that really was and a life-saving paradigm shift that is and try and yet at the same time, trying to extricate it from this fanatical religious experience into something that was, you know, while still trying to preserve its meaning, um, and that's taken, you know, a, a long time and, and several years to kind of be able to kind of navigate through to where that that not and not trying to rob the meaning of that occasion. And right. so, so the um, so I guess what I'm saying is like the the thing that I I, I I use the term conversion way less, but I definitely love the concept of turning toward. I mean, there was a decision to be able to yeah. tor- turn toward and in a direction that's meaningful. And I, I think it was a religious experience in part, but it doesn't necessarily always translate out sometimes in the way that we talk about it and the way that the evangelical tra- tradition is sometimes sure. to believe. Sure. Yeah. And not all those sorts of, I mean, all those sorts of phrases like giving, giving your life to Christ and, and all those things to your point, they, they are very loaded sort of, and they carry a lot of, a lot of meaning that is, can be hard to accept in retrospect <laughs> or, or like if we, if we sort of have changed our position since, since then. Yeah. But at, you know, at the same time, I think there, there's a, there's a concept of surrender that I deeply, that deeply resonates with me. And at that time, and, you know, for somebody like, like, I guess I'm conscientious of that. Like, I don't want to strip away from anyone's experience who would use that language. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're we're all kind of crippled by the way that we articulate 
to another human being, the sincerity of the experience that we're having. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I I think that's been a bit of the challenge that I've experienced culturally over, you know, the last decade or so of just trying to say, listen, I I wouldn't necessarily use that language, but I do relate to that. And I'm trying to find, and particularly I think as a songwriter, I'm trying to always find new ways of relating an experience that even though this is a language that I might use, I want to use the language in my art or in my creativity in a way that allows as many people as possible to step into it. Yeah. You know, obviously the challenges of that, you know, inside of that community is if I didn't speak with the language and if I didn't speak with that code, then I didn't get to speak at all. And that was a little bit of the challenge of that. But also I think it was was a good one. I think it, you know, ended up bearing some good fruit in some of the ways that I was writing and creating music. Hmm. And that's actually a good segue. Let's let's um, t- talk a little bit about uh, sort of what the role of music uh, played in in your life up until that point um, in college, and and when did you when did you start to like begin to make the turn towards the CCM industry or just even playing music with other evangelicals and things like that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I started music, uh, I was probably about fourth grade or so. And I was, a going into college, I was actually a trumpet player. Mm. Um, and it wasn't until I was maybe like 18, 18 or so getting ready to go to college. I'm like, Oh, I don't, you know, I was, I was, I was playing as many instruments as I could because I'd planned on being a, a band teacher and I had anticipated in college that, you know, I need to learn kind of how to basically play as many things as I could. And so I picked up a guitar and uh, started to kind of learn that among the many instruments that I was playing. And uh, and uh, so when I was uh, – sorry. <laughs> <laughs> You're fine. Sorry, uh, my partner just came home. <laughs> uh, that's okay. You can edit that part out. That's <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I was uh, – you know, I was playing music, you know, before I got to college. And when I started, you know, when I became a Christian, one of my friends was saying, you know, why don't you write? Like I would play cover songs on guitar. I was, you know, learning songs like by Tracy Chapman and the Cowboy Junkies and the Indigo Girls and stuff like that. Um, and one of my friends was kind of, you know, generally speaking in my environment, it was just like, oh, you need to, to write songs about your faith now. You don't need to necessarily play songs from the world. And mm. I thought that was kind of a, a weird thing. But at the same time, like it never occurred to me to write my own music. And so I kind of as I was having this experience in this journey, I started to write about that and it showed up in my music and it was pretty cool. And, you know, then I started playing, you know, my friends would really like it in, in college and they'd ask me to play it. And then I'd play at my fellowship of Christian athletes meeting or, um, when I started to go to, to church, you know, that my, my church would ask me to play special songs. I ended up in a band. I had no idea. Like I didn't, you know, I had no concept of what Christian music was, so I didn't know how to write it necessarily. I was just kind of writing about my own experience and, it wasn't until like um, you know I, I'd I'd met a few people that started exposing me to other Christian music, but I was well into it. Like I didn't really aspire to get into what I was doing, but you know a couple years of doing that, a pretty fast track actually. I ended up mm. uh, signing a record deal, and I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. <laughs> um, yeah, but you know I, I I kind of 
kind of like in, in that sense, like I was kind of really, as I was struggling culturally, I put that into my music and I struggled with my own doubt. I would put that up front and in my music. And I think a lot of people really related to that. And I wasn't, I didn't really know how to be what everybody wanted, wanted me to be. And I, I think I channeled that frustration into, um, the way that I talked about God. And, you know, I, there was a lot of, I think particularly with my first record, there was a lot of contemplation on that record about whether or not, you know, the divine that God could see me in a way that was respectable, even if I didn't measure up to the expectations. And I think a lot of people really related and resonated with that. And, you know, that took off. I mean, I ended up doing like three records and having a nice long career because of it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I was actually a, uh, a big so I went to high school in like the mid ninety late nineties early two thousands and I was oh, you were my target audience <laughs> I absolutely was I worked in a Christian bookstore <laughs> so I recommended your CDs I sold your CDs I listened to your CDs um, my I was even just talking messaging with a friend from my youth group that I'm still in touch with <laughs> from way back in. and she she talked about she still plays your songs on her guitar and everything <laughs> like. Um, so, so yeah, like I, um, that I, I remember that moment sort of, uh, you know, late nineties, early two thousands, like CCM had, and I know it was because I was in high school and like everybody glamorizes, you know, whatever music was playing when they were in high school. But, but like there was you, there was Cademan's, there was, uh, there was some of the early third day stuff. Um, it felt like a really good, like genuine time <laughs> for the scene. Um, yeah, you know, as an artist, you know, artistically, it was really beautiful to be a part of that. I mean, I really felt like I genuinely found a community there. There were artists that I deeply respect that were that were in that same vein. Like for for a few years there, there was a yeah. lot of real life experience. Uh, I think Sixpence and the Richer were doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were groups like for to kind of add to that groups like the 77s, Dakota Motor Company, Michael Knott. Those were like a lot of West Coast artists that were outside of Nashville that weren't necessarily evangelical, but were talking about this in their music and in their art doing, you know, taking yeah. a spiritual approach to that within with, you know, under the umbrella of Christianity, but not necessarily trying to advertise it as or be something but to have that experience and I, th- I think as a young person that was really inspiring to me to be in and around those artists and yet strangely enough you know I think as as you know artists like Sarah Mason um mm. gosh uh I don't know I mean you can name you know a ton of out of the gray was a a, a more uh, adult contemporary group that I really liked at the time um, yeah, there were a lot of artists that were really exploring, you know, how far and how they could write about their spiritual experience without necessarily having to be a worship, um, a worship experience or necessarily trying to sell Christianity, but just be a community of people who understood what this experience was like. Um, yeah. and it's obviously that's, that's shifted from that time. I think, um, now pretty much you pretty, you know, if you want to be a Christian artist, you've got to have a pretty, it seems to me like when I turn on the radio station, now you have to have a pretty good, you know, I, I don't know. I, I feel like our experiences have been edited out. 
of that, you know, and it was really confrontational. I think that that did create problems inside of the evangelical narrative for artists like me who who were like, you know, writing uh, just songs about our experience. Um, yeah. My face from the saints and the angels who sing of your glory. But you had in mind that my weakness shine, shine, show me grace. Little more than I can give, little more than I deserve. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, like you, like you said. Uh, like you, you did bring a like an honesty that I think was evident in your work at that time, you know, and that that was not lost on people. It wasn't lost on on me and the people in my youth group that listened to your music, you know. That and that sort of thing. I mean, damn, like we put a lot of pressure on ourselves, like in in those in those youth groups and things like that, to be a very good person or like to to try to measure up. And, uh, and to have someone express that sort of, that sort of uncertainty, the, the way you did on, on your albums and everything was, you know, cathartic. (laughs) I don't think that ended there, you know? Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. The thing to me about that is that, you know, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm honestly shocked and surprised that you know, some uh, close to 20 years later, the, the same, you know, I still talk to the same people, you know, right. those of us who had, had gone through that experience and then are now are, you know, uh, full grown uh, adults, <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, responsible, not, you know, the, the pressure to kind of conform to what, you know, maybe our family or religious communities want. I think there are still a large portion that are, you know, still involved in, in their their Christian communities or um, I think they're even more kind of still on the fringes. Like how do we make sense of that sincere experience? Um, and yet at the same time, you know, feeling, I, I, I don't know. I just think culturally a lot of us grew up with this invitation to, you can be who you are, um, that there's a valuable experience here. There's a, a spiritual experience to be had here. And, you know, that sense of, yeah, come as you are. I mean, I don't know any other way to say it. Like, you know, we are who we are and we're still looking for something redeeming out of that in relationship to, um, our religious experience as well. And I, I just think 20 years down the line, we haven't given up on that. I think we, I think a lot of people that I talk to still really resonate with the original decision. Like I'm talking about, you know, what, what about this, this legit, this, sincere experience about entering into and and aware you know with a great deal of awareness and deliberateness of stepping into this experience that I call Christianity and yet I still feel like 20 years later I'm somewhat on the margins of my church Mm. um what does Mm. that mean and what does that and now that you know now that we're having families and we're getting married and we have responsibilities uh that we want to 
you know, that we've been impacted by our faith in a particular way to want to be people with dignity and caring and equality and social justice and all of those kinds of things to be Christ-like. What does that mean when we've also had the backside of that going, man, I don't want you to think I'm a nut job here. I, you know, I don't want to be, I, you know, what is it, you know, what is that thing we're trying to communicate when we don't want to be wrapped into the Liberty University, Jerry Falwell kind of, <laughs> motif um you know how do you do that how do you hold on to something that has both offended you and inspired you at the same time um and as a you know again i kind of go back to music like i don't know how to process that without trying to enter into that create music about it bring that out and and kind of talk about that at shows and so i don't know it's just been really fascinating to me how many people that that are in this the same boat kind of that we're talking about it's just like man i I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, but some of that water is pretty nasty. And what do I do with that? That's definitely the predicament that a lot of people that that listen to the show that have been through the things that that we sort of generationally have been through. Like it's it's hard, and it's it's there's no easy answer. (laughs) It's it's definitely sort of like a lot of times it boils down to individual choice. You know what you can stomach (laughs) in some ways. So with your um with your career like like you mentioned you you had these these albums that that came out quickly and I didn't even really realize I mean until I was listening to you to your memoir I listened to it as an audiobook um and like I didn't realize that it all sort of happened within the space of a few years it definitely sounds like it was this really intense experience and then then it then through a series of circumstances like you you had to step away um, so what sort of, what, what led to, what led to that and how did that, that, that stepping away from CCM for a period and, and from music in general, um, how did, how did that sort of inform your life? Yeah. I mean, it, it was a pretty quick turnaround. I mean, I think, you know, I think my, like Kansas, my first record came out and I think officially in 1998. In two, my last record that I did with uh, Goatee Records was, was released in 2001, and then I did my last gig in 2002. And so, uh, you know, I look back at that, I'm like, holy crap, that's yeah, that that really wasn't that long. It, it felt like an eternally long time, actually. At the same time, I, I, I did, you know, so it's no wonder to me, like, my first answer was like, why I walked away was principally just exhaustion. I just couldn't take it anymore. And every time I kind of tried to, to step away and take a little bit of time off, there were, you know, kind of these, these conversations centering around my failure as a Christian to kind of not participate, you know, it was like a sacrifice that I was supposed to make in terms of, mm-hmm. you know, if I wasn't able to continue on that, that journey, then something was probably wrong with me spiritually. That was some mm-hmm. of the conversations that I was having behind the scenes. And, Gross. It was devastating to me. Yeah, that's awful. I think, you know, I I was genuinely needing some time. And by that time, I was probably like 20, uh, what would I have been in 2002, 25, or 26 or 27, I think, Um, and just utterly exhausted. And and at the same time, I, I think the other thing that I tend to see is that by that age, I'd been a, you know, a Christian for a while. Um, you know, maybe eight years or so. 
And I just, I was starting to come into my own, I think as an adult, as somebody was starting to have my own theological thoughts and a little bit of courage to say some of this stuff was bullshit Mm. and realizing that I was also in a marketplace where I was expected to kind of spruik this stuff that I didn't believe in. Um, and at this, you know, I didn't really know how to manage that at all. I think there was still a great deal of immaturity and just going, man, I don't, I don't, I, I, something's going on here and I'm not sure. I, I just really didn't know how to stomach being responsible for pushing a kind of perfectionist Christianity that I was all like, felt like as an artist, I'd always kind of been laboring against hmm. and I didn't really know how to manage that very well. And, and to the point where I just in not pushing that agenda through. And I think there were some legitimate things where I was, I was definitely being asked to push an evangelical agenda through uh, particularly as a woman, some ideals of what women were supposed to look like. Um, about that time, you know, the, the sexual purity movement was moving through and it was like true love weights and that kind of thing. And I was being asked quite a bit or admonished quite a bit when I didn't live up to the ideal of what a Christian woman looked like. And I, I just found that really frustrating. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, I don't know. And it's just personally, I just kind of collapsed underneath of that. So I just said, I, I really honestly can't do this. I was pretty suicidal at the end of it going, uh, just feeling like such a failure that, you know, it was like one choice or the other, either I had to continue doing something I didn't have the strength, energy or courage to do anymore. And on the other side of it, death, <laughs> just feeling like a failure. Cause I was supposed to do something that I couldn't. And so I was like, this is unhealthy. I got to get out of here. And it, it doesn't really matter what comes next. It was, it was truly an act of self-care. Um, and it was devastating to me because I, I loved what I did. I, I loved being a musician. And mu- music had been a part of my life for, for, you know, like I said, since I was 14. It had been like 15 years, like my entire life basically growing up as a kind of autonomous human, human being and involved music and being participating with community that way. And I just had to go away. Mm. Um, that it, it just felt like such a loss. And, and frankly, I felt like a failure in Christianity too. I, I feel like, you know, these years later, there's a bit of a story of an acceptance to the art that I was doing as a musician. I did not feel like people, I, like, I think it's funny that, that people missed me when I was gone. I just found like, all these years later, I found it shocking because as an artist at the time, I thought I was insignificant, that it didn't matter, um, that people didn't like what I was doing. And not that I, you know, not that I think that's a qualifier in any way, but I, like, I just, I didn't see it. Like, it just felt like I was just, you know, pushing a rock uphill and it just seemed stupid to, to kill myself over something that just didn't really matter. So I walked away. It was a self-preservation act. Mm, mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I hadn't dated in 10 years. I'd been celibate for 10 years because I was freaking terrified. And turns out that was, you know, at that time, you know, that that decision was one that helped me realize that, you know, my own sexual orientation uh, as a as a gay woman, you know, which I, I know a lot of people like to look back and, and, and narrate that as like, oh, I quit Christian music because I was gay. But like I didn't even have the ability at that time to even comprehend sexual orientation because I was just so wasted um, in terms of what I could handle. I just needed to move off and find my own voice again. And Mm. frankly, I thought I was walking away from Christianity. I thought I was walking away from music. I thought I was walking away and going to hell. So 
Um, literally like it was just, it was such an utterly devastating experience for me to have to, to make that move, but it, it turned out to be a really good one. You know, it, it took me seven years to recover from that before yeah. I would kind of get back and pick up my guitars again. Mm. Yeah. I'm sorry that, you know, to, to hear that, you know, that, that much sort of pressure had been internalized and, and put upon you by, by all these different people and, and expectations. And I mean, yeah, the, the sort of totalizing of, of all of that, that, that you just mentioned as far as, yeah, I'm, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I think that, that in retrospect, I mean, you know, I think it's the danger of the if then statements in mm-hmm. the spirit. Like what I would say is, you know, we're all on a spiritual journey to a certain point. The if then statements are, are a real test and potentially damaging, I think, particularly because, you know, like I said, this is, you know, 20 years in the making of being able to say, you know, I, it, it took me a lot of courage, actually, strangely enough, to say that that my initial entrance into Christianity as a choice um, and as a concerted effort and a deeply meaningful choice on mm-hmm. top of that was leveraged in an if then statements. If if you are sincere, if this deeply meaningful experience that you had is true, then you will do this or you will look like this was always challenged. And, you know, there was only so many years that I could maintain that. Um, Some people never feel that, that pressure, that burden. Some people go a lot longer. Some people don't last. Um, I didn't know how to manage that. And it took a long time of, of having my own space. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I just, all I remember is just grieving and mourning after I left that. Cause after I left CCM, because I, I not only felt like I'd lost music, but I also felt like I'd lost something. I'd lost face and I'd lost, um, you know, I, I'd wondered basically everyone that not everyone, but there were some key people around me at that time that said, yeah, if you walk away from, if you walk away from this, then you are denying your faith. And I'd be like, man, how do I, how do I tell you the truth that I can't take one more step that, you know, now is a time of rest. And why is that being leveraged against the sincerity of, of what my spiritual experience means to me? And, um, yeah, and I think that, you know, I don't know, long, you know, in the long run, you know, I, I am as shocked as anybody that I still claim and participate in the faith experience um, in the way. But, you know, these years on, like now I understand that in a different way where, you know, somebody being critical and making those kinds of if then statements, you know, if you don't believe this, then you are not a Christian or, you know, this, you didn't have a meaningful experience. And I'm now I'm kind of like, that's, that's bullshit. You know, like yeah. I am, I am who I am and this is the reality of where I'm at. And if, if, if that's what you believe, that's okay. But I'm, I'm, you know, I need reliable people who are willing to travel with me on this journey and that are willing to kind of have that. And I think that's the challenge that we have inside of our faith communities on, on a variety of different levels now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sorry, once sorry, I, I I had one thought in mind and then it totally spaced out. I'm gonna edit. Uh, you can edit that. yourself. It's all good. Yeah, I can edit myself. I apologize for that. <laughs> so, um, so you have this, you have this time off, and you you just give yourself this, you, you give yourself this this time to, um, 
to really heal from from all of these this this intensity what sort of prepared you to um to return to music and to return to that sort of part of your expression because actually again in your in your in your book you do talk about how like during that period you 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 also stop playing music like you stop i mean it's all it's sort of this holistic thing what um brought you back and what what made you um you know return to music and return to engaging in in these sorts of conversations again yeah i mean it's been fairly incremental um i don't want to kind of there's no like like one magic pill or one magic day it's 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 truly been kind of like a step-by-step process um mm-hmm. uh, the, mostly like I was bored you know I spent <laughs> seven years, you know I got you know after seven years of retirement I'd literally had a midlife retirement I'd, I'd been working at a at an antique shop for about a year and it wasn't I don't know it just it I had a sense inside of myself that I wasn't I was starting to, it was kind of felt like in that time I started to wake up and realize I just was, I was like, oh, was I just in some dream? I just didn't feel useful and I missed my guitars and, and so as I picked them up, I just like, I'm not going to let the anger, the frustration, the hurt, you know, separate me from something that used to be like a cool thing. And I wonder if it's, I wonder if I still like music, you know, that was kind of like the first question and. I picked up my guitars and I started to play and I, it, at first it was like extremely painful because kind of all that I knew how to play were all these faith-based music and I just couldn't even stomach it. I was just angry and mad and I'd, I'd realize that, you know, I didn't have anything else to play. So I tried writing some new music and yet the language, the language that I had used was still deeply spiritual that I wanted to talk about. And so I just kind of wrestled with the demons for a little bit but that was kind of like all in private and I one of the steps that I made was just taking off the expectations of that like yeah I want to play again and I I said so, you know you don't have to write a record and you don't have to go back and play for anybody you, it's okay for you to pick up this guitar and just play it for the sake of the gift and and for the sake of enjoyment of that yeah. and then I thought man I really want you know I'm the net want you know, I'd been doing that for a while and I'm like, man, I, I kind of really want to write a record. Like, <laughs> um, you know, I remember my grand, my grandfather for many years had said, I, w- I just want you to record. I want you to just record you and your acoustic and send me something someday. So I thought, oh man, I'll do that for him. You know, I had the time to do it. And so I did a little project that was just me and, and my guitar and for him and, and then I got that put together and then I was like, oh man, these are really good. Like, I kind of want to play these in concerts and stuff. So I sent them back <laughs> to some friends of mine in Nashville and they're like, yeah, this is really good. You should come and make a record. And, you know, it just was like step by step. And I was like, oh, crap. If I go back to Nashville, like everybody's going to know I'm gay. <laughs> like, <laughs> like all of these kinds of things just kind of kept step by step. And, you know, and I, I thought, all right, well, I'll play, but I won't. Thank God now that I'm, you know, I kind of was like really grateful for my sexual orientation because I thought, oh, you know, that will make the Christians not want to talk to me anymore. And I don't have to worry about that. <laughs> yeah. I don't have to worry about engaging faith community or, and, and I could just, I was actually super excited that I could have that to myself again. Um, so I don't know. It was just this weird mix of just taking off the expectations and taking off the things from my plate and just, just focusing in the moment of the one thing that you could do. And, 
you know, you can write a song and you can sing it. And then what comes next? You know, not thinking about all the possible consequences that go after, but just trying to do that thing one at a time. And, you know, and I, I think that was actually strangely a redemptive process for me getting back into this spiritual conversation. Like I, I realized that I hadn't lost my faith. I had just run into a big difficulty with how I talked about my faith. And at that point, you know, I'm now in my thirties and I have a little bit more of my own voice. And, and I, I think even with the excuse of my sexual orientation, knowing that I was already just fundamentally going to be pissing people off because of, of something about myself that I couldn't, you know, deny or necessarily hide. I'm like, all right, well, let's, let's just do this. You know, let's, let's start from square one and just being ourselves. And mm -hmm. like, that's kind of the deal I made. Like I wasn't going to go back and play music and be in front of people anymore if I couldn't be myself because yeah. it, it was too destructive in the first time. It just, I didn't want to be a frog in the water and have that slowly creep up on me. And I think that's kind of the advantage of of age and experience. And, and I didn't really have anything to lose. You know, I didn't really anticipate that when I came back that people would actually buy records or, you know, that I'd be three records into it now. Um, but I'm really grateful. But I think part of that honesty that I was, you know, I, I feel like has guided me. There's been, I don't know. I, I feel like somewhere in there that as an artist, I've been really fortunate because I've always just kind of had my heart on my sleeve and I've always just said, Hey man, this is what I'm going through. And it shows up in my music and I've shared it. And I've, I've not necessarily wanted to be a rock star or necessarily said, Hey, I know for a fact that people are going to like what I play. I've just kind of humbly kind of presented it and said, yeah, if people like it, then I'll get to play. Mm -hmm. And if it's resonating and it's a, if it's conversational, it's worth us all getting together, then I'm willing to share it. Um, and I, I think that's just kind of how it's come out. And, um, and I think it's in that process has been redemptive to, uh, to me of my religious experience as well. I mean, I think in coming back and playing, you know, I, I didn't want to be associated with Christianity at all. Um, at the same time, I've realized that's, that's part of my language and it shows up when what I'm doing, it's really hard to keep it private. But I think there is a distinction. I think now that, you know, it's an active choice that I've made, particularly being on the secular side of things to say, yes, I am a person of faith. Christianity is a tradition that I have, but it's not necessarily, I'm not necessarily eager to use music as a tool um, to try and convince people to be that, you know, I don't, I don't resist it if it shows up in my music, but I don't necessarily try and use my music as the propaganda for that. So yeah, uh, it's a little bit different uh, the way that I approach it now. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I am curious, uh, I guess, uh, as being someone that, that was this sort of like <laughs> this, this was, I, I was sort of, a, you know, like I mentioned it, a youth group, a youth group kid in the early nineties or late nineties, early two thousands. Um, and like seeing seeing people like you and like uh, sort of and other musicians um, from from your from your group of that all sort of came up together, uh, like like Derek Webb from Cademans and and others that like continue to engage with spirituality and but in like a new setting, um, like sort of outside of the CCM sort of um, direct CCM. Ex markets and everything what are your your sort of are are there any thoughts or are there is there anything that sort of connects all of your experiences or or do you think it is just part of like you've mentioned just growing up and exploring something 
differently through your music and through your careers? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. Um, yeah, it's interesting you you mentioned Derek Webb. You know, he and I did a, a tour together, like one of my first tours back actually as a musician, um, he and I. So he and I have spent a lot of time together. We drank a few beers and waxed on poetically about our experiences. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I, I there's something about I don't know. I think there's something about that experience, and I, that's been even with my time with Derek, it, it, something redemptive about the artistic process mm-hmm. that I really appreciated from from hanging out with him is this idea that because I, I didn't grow up I didn't grow up around with artists like in the CCM experience like most of what I had experienced and the people that I was around there was a lot resting on you know your person and your spirituality and kind of conforming to what Christianity was marketable um Mm -hmm. and what what it could look like and I don't necessarily mean that in a bad way I mean it's kind of the nature of the beast I mean once you start to market something even no matter how genuine you start there's a branding issue right and then even if it starts as something genuine um there's still eventually what you create is kind of an avatar (laughs) <laughs> you yeah, know yeah a, a script or kind of a shell and even you know and i would say that to a certain extent like that's i think that partly you know backwards looking as a ccm artist i felt like an avatar for christianity and not mm. necessarily like a person who was having that that experience and so when i talk to guys like derek i think one of the things that that the artists that I deeply respect and why I call them artists is because they've had their life experiences and they're trying to create music in and around that. So rather than writing for a marketplace, yeah, um, uh, they're writing genuinely about their experiences. And so, you know, I, I wouldn't, I would be as shocked as anybody if one day Derek decided to write a praise and worship record as much as I'd probably be shocked if I did. Um, but at the same time, I think if, if that were to ever occur, I think I'd probably genuinely believe that that was something that was occurring for them and they wanted to explore as an artist. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't mean to make that sound critical of CCM marketplace. It's just an interesting thing because it's, it's the only genre of music that depends on the lyrical content. Mm. You have to specifically talk about Christianity um, the way that the you know CCM, particularly that kind of coming out of Nashville, the way that that's evolved is you have to specifically be evangelical and, and tied into a Christ narrative or a Jesus narrative. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing, but it's a, it's you have to be. I think as an artist, and this is why I like Derek and other artists. I think you have to be deliberate about choosing the story that you want to tell and there are a wide varieties of stories to tell that that marketplace doesn't necessarily invite because it's predicated on, on talking about basically evangelical Christianity. So like we're experienced in the early nineties where that pressure wasn't necessarily there. And there were artists just, you know, that we were products of our churches and we were products of, of listening to, to really cool music growing up. You know, I grew up on, Pearl Jam and 
you know, Aerosmith and Tracy Chapman and 10,000 Maniacs and all this Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. I didn't grow up with Sandy Patty and Stephen Curtis Chapman. And yet, you know, I think that's the challenge of an artist, true artist to me and the ones that I respect are trying to share an experience that that they have had as individuals or they've had within a community, but trying to find the universality and the shareability of that experience in a way that people who didn't grow up that way can somehow find a connected humanity and relationship to. Yeah. That is not something that CCM necessarily works on. Um, And I think it's possible to do it. But, you know, the, the moving on from that space is, I don't know, I, I, to me, that's, that's what's given me hope as a musician. And it gives me something to get up for in the morning. It's not just feeling like I can feel, you know, play like, I don't know what the, the equivalent is. I grew up with like mad libs, right? Where, you, have, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? You'd have a sheet right. of paper and you could fill in your own comedy routine by just filling in the blanks with you know, the story would be written for you, but you had to put the the pivotal word in there. I mean, I think there's something more rich and meaningful to our human experience. And, um, and you know, I, I just, I never really wanted to be a rock star, but I, I certainly wanted to, to, when I sat down with my guitar, have an experience that I could share with somebody else. And I don't yeah. know, that's what inspires me about artists like Derek. And I think that speaks to his longevity, but I think it also speaks to a smaller marketplace, particularly, um, you know, when when we both are artists that came out of a space where, you know, that had a wide audience that really bought into the branding. And now when we're not a part of that, what does that mean? Um, at the same time, that also makes us strange beings to the secular world because, you know, we're we're capable of being able to talk about the spiritual experience. But, you know, like you said, the second you you tack on Christian into that, people think you're trying to sell them something. And um, yeah, it's a strange experience to go through, but, uh, I'm, I'm really grateful for that because it's returned me to a space of just really wanting to strive to kind of create music that's meaningful to people at large. Mm-hmm. And what you, um, one of the things you've, you've talked about a lot is just like, you've, you've always sought to bring sort of an authenticity and an honesty to your music. Um, and part of one part of what we've talked about is that when you, um, when you returned to music, uh, you did do so as uh, you you came out openly as gay, and you addressed that sort of head on. Um, and because you, as you mentioned, you needed you like you didn't want to have to pretend or or hide. You wanted to be the whole person that you are. Um, and since then, you've also started uh, organization uh, Inside Out Faith. Um, where do you see that that sort of that that sort that part that conversation and and affir- like working with affirming churches and, and things like that? Um, and I speak to a lot of LGBTQ people on this show, and I mean that group in particular, like any person that's LGBTQ, that they just have such negative experiences and experience such trauma in evangelicalism and in evangelical circles. It's really difficult, but at the same time, they you know, so, so many also have a very deep spirituality, um, and that becomes such a difficult, uh, conflict for them. Um, so what, with your work with Inside Out Faith, like, I just love to hear you talk a little bit about that and, and, and how, um, how that's gone since then. Yeah. Um, well, I, I think initially one of, 
one of the things that I, I felt really important uh, to challenge is this narrative that, you know, to be gay and to come out means that you're uh, lacking in faith or that, you know, you're somehow not, you know, that something's wrong with you spiritually. I just, I, I just found that in my own personal experience, my coming out, just like when no one was watching, my coming out was an exercise that was made possible by a deep spiritual understanding of my created worth. Mm-hmm. I just don't know that I would have ever been able to stomach um, entering back into the career that is of my gift if I didn't have a fundamental sense of my my value and my worth. Mm-hmm. And, and that wasn't that I I learned that and I, that like I said that was a paradigm shift for me. That was a turning toward that was deeply tied to my evangelical experience. At the same time, so I also had an awareness because I'd had a, like a midlife crisis meltdown, right? Mm-hmm. That's to be able to say that, that that wasn't true and that I wasn't worth that. And that this idea that, I mean, I, I don't think you have to be a Christian. I mean, I don't even think you have to be somebody who believes in God to understand the deeply painful insult it is to a human being to say that God doesn't love you. Yeah. Like you just say, you know, at a certain point, you're just like, even if you think it's a joke, that still is like an insult to your created worth. And I just, I had so many, I had had so many friends through the years that had dropped away and that silencing of the LGBTQ community, so far as I'd seen and was personally experience was personally experiencing was this idea that something had broken and failed in me because I was gay. And that was just, it wasn't true for me. And it wasn't true for so many other people that I'd met, Mm -hmm. you know, when I was playing at shows and talking to all these people about their spiritual experience and this, this strange incongruency with the value that it, and the courage it took for LGBTQ people that I knew to come out and say, I am loved by God. I am a worthy human being and I am still here. And the reason why I'm still here is because I, you know, I have understood the created value of myself. So the fact that an entire community and the fact that an entire church is saying to me that I failed in some way is not just a lie. It's, it's just, it's utterly inaccurate. And they wanted, and I think for me, I think that's part of my participation here is to give value to the spiritual process that Mm. entering into that, um, and, and, as an LGBTQ person has been a vital component to my health, my well-being, my resiliency. Um, and it's just changing the narrative that the church says, you know, that gay, gay people can't be Christians or the reason why we leave churches has not been because we've lost our faith, but because we have been uninvited mm-hmm. because they've been traumatic places, because there have been places that have, you know, for for church, church has been a very dangerous place for the last 15 years for an LGBTQ person. But, um, my, my participation now is with, like, like you said, with affirming churches, with Christians who are willing to engage the, the possible, even the remotest possibility that, that God created us the way that we are, that there's not, 
you know, a moral leveraging about our sexual orientation or our gender identities, um, that should be leveraged. Kind of goes back to the if then argument. Yeah. If if God loves us, then God loves us. And to me, that is a fundamental. You know, I could get into the theology of that, but it is finished. I take that seriously. <laughs> you know, this idea that that if God loves us, then God loves us. And that's kind of the end of it. And how we journey toward our understanding of that and our taking a hold of that is, is really important. So to be able to engage in that and advocacy um, and inclusive conversations, it's it initially was extremely terrifying because I realized that I was, you know, confronting some, some pretty angry people who were just still trying to kind of say that LGBTQ people is an unnatural thing or don't belong in our faith communities. But as we're seeing um, LGBTQ people return, um, as we're seeing more of these stories come to light. And for me, it's been a joy to be a part of that move to say, hey, yeah, we're here, we're queer, <laughs> get used to it. <laughs> yeah. Motif, but yeah, we, we haven't lost our faith. We've just been silenced. And part of that journey has been able to you know, I've got a microphone, so you better hold on. I'm going to talk about it. And I've been grateful to be able to have that privilege and that opportunity to do it. And it's been strangely, and I would have never told you this, you know, 15 years ago, it's been an incredibly redemptive process. I've kind of in many ways found a deeper appreciation of my spiritual journey, a, a deeper appreciation of my spiritual tradition. And strangely enough, that's come even on the backs of, of feeling like a, I was a failure to contemporary Christianity, uh, a failure as an LGBTQ person. As it's turned out, the, the more that I've embraced um, the value of what my faith has taught me, the the more appreciative I've, I've had to realize that that faith has also prepared me for the journey that I've had. And inside out faith is part of kind of being able to do that, to give permission to, you know, to be a part of the story that give people permission to be able to, to know who mm. they are and to express who they are and participate with faith community, um, in a way that, that gives them a, a fruitful life. Yeah. Yeah. Permission. Oh man, that, that's definitely something that's, that it can just be so incredibly valuable to someone, you know, just letting them know that they're okay, you know, that, that that's allowed, um, is, can be so incredibly powerful. So that's yeah, great. It seems like such a small thing, right? Um, you know, yeah. I, I was having a, I was sharing drinks with a friend of mine one day and he just said to me, you know, you know, you're, theologically you're not an evangelical and i was like what <laughs> it, it, you know, just that statement alone was such a terrifying statement for me because i'd grown up in an environment that says that you're not a christian if you're not evangelical was right. the essential kind of translation but at the same time i you know i've i've had a, an incredible life i mean i've traveled all over the world uh participated in in Christian community from variety of cultures. And I, I have to remind myself that we all express this experience in different ways. And there's, you know, I don't tick off the boxes for, you know, a card carrying Methodist every day any more than I can, you know, can tick off all the boxes for an evangelical. Like, I'm not, I, 
I, but I'm no longer, I think as I've practiced this and this now for a few years, I've realized that, you know, the insult of saying that I'm a cherry picker is, is meant to erode the confidence I have in my own experience and the value that I have in being able to go around, you know, the Methodists teach me a little bit here and I really dig that. And thank you for letting me hang out you guys, you know, and then going over to my evangelical community and hanging out and saying, man, I, I really want to, I really want to appreciate that part of, you know, your tradition that speaks to me. I think appreciating the diversity of Christian expression and experience and the way that we develop communities and the way that we worship in different ways is very important. Um, and it's, it's for me, one of the things I feel like kind of informs the work I do in advocacy and inclusion for the LGBTQ community. I mean, there's a real diversity in the way that we approach our faith and thinking that there's just one surefire way at which that we all approach this is, is problematic and, and extremely traumatic and can halt the journey for something that's a really rich and rewarding experience. Mm, yeah. Yeah. That's very true. So you're actually, uh, you have produced three albums and you're actually touring right now as well. Um, you, three albums since your return. So, um, we've sort of talked about, uh, about your, your career in these like two different acts, so to speak, I guess. I call them um, career 1.0 and career 2.0. Oh, there you go. All right. <laughs> I like that career 2.0. Um, and you're on tour right now, correct? Uh, yeah, I'm getting ready to launch, uh, uh, the, some fall touring. Uh, so I'm mostly on the East side of the country this fall. So I'm heading up to the Northeast, Boston, New York. Uh, I'm going to be in Texas, I think. Uh, so in the South and Georgia and I was largely kind of like the East side of Kansas. And then, you know, the, unfortunately the West coast is going to have to wait until the spring of 2019, but yeah, I'll be out, uh, doing a, a tour with the love comes back around record, which I released a year ago, but only got to, to tour for a limited amount of time. Cause I was in divinity school, but now I'm done with school. I'm looking forward to kind of coming back and doing that. So we'll, we'll have some fun dates this fall, make sure. And, um, to get onto jenniferknapp.com. We'll have all the tour dates listed there. Awesome. Well, Jennifer, thanks so much for, for sharing, um, so much of your story and for, for making all the music you've done all the, over the years. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you for giving me a call. I deeply appreciate it. <laughs> 